Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. It's Hollister with the cold here, so excuse my voice. How are you doing, O'Toole? Hollister, I'm doing great, and I'm sorry to hear you have a cold because I wanted to wish you and us and Screen Thoughts in general a happy anniversary. I know, our 100th episode. Our 100th episode. I feel like we're just getting started. I know, me too. And, And thank you all out there who listen and our numbers actually in the last few months have doubled, and um, we're just so grateful. So thanks for listening, and we hope we'll continue getting it going. But before we get started on the two things we're going to talk about today, I watched a documentary today that's on HBO about Mike Nichols. Have you heard about it? Oh, I heard about it, but I haven't seen it. Do tell. Okay, we have to do it next week. I was going to write it up in a written one, in a written review. It just changes the way you look at film, and you... You see his genius in a way. You get to hear from him, right from the graduate to... Um, it's just amazing. So let's make a commitment that we'll we'll add that to our roster for next week, even if it's only a short. Okay, okay just we're not one question. Do they interview Diane Sawyer? No. no oh, just It's really? an interview with, just with him. And he's just talking about the work. It has nothing to do with his life. All right, we're going to start with Lobster, which, you know, we weren't even going to do this film because I saw it and I was so disturbed by it. I wasn't sure I knew what I wanted to say about it. And then everybody's been talking about it and a couple of our listeners have asked us to take a look at it. So you went and saw it, O'Toole, so why don't you kick it off? What'd you think? (laughs) I did. Well, you know, it's a dystopian, absurdist parable. Um, Very interesting. It won the jury prize at the Cannes Film Festival back in 2015. So it's just now finding its legs here in the U.S. It's kind of slow-growing buzz around this movie. And some are saying it could be nominated for an Oscar for things like Best Original Screenplay. And just to preface it, it's definitely a high-concept film where you can just sum it up by saying single people have to find a mate or they're transformed into an animal of their choice. It's also based, you know, the the writer and director talks about how he feels that the the pressure in America, especially in America, to get married and have a mate, you know, that is the life goal of of what humans are supposed to do. So he just has exaggerated all of these trends that that humans have made our own. And um, and very and interesting of, that he's a Greek director. It's Yorgos yeah, exactly. Lantimos, and yeah. this is his first English language film. He was nominated for the best foreign language film for his 2011 movie Dogtooth. But here's the funny thing: when I saw the previews of it, when I saw the trailer, I couldn't wait to see it. I thought it was going to be one of these all-time great films. And then when you know, because it showed the humor of it. And what I found in this film, it's, didn't you feel the humor was almost lost in the, in the total terror and, 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 and dysfunction and, and fear of, of what it was all representing? Well, the first half of the movie I thought was amusing on some meta level. Not laugh out loud funny, but what they were saying about how single people are treated in society. Mm-hmm. I thought good for them that they're actually making an issue right. of this, you know. Yeah. Um good point. And I loved Olivia Coleman from Broadchurch and just nominated for an Emmy for The Night Manager. She played the hotel manager in this and even sings. And I thought she was fabulous. She but was fabulous. The minute they left the hotel, 
and hence, in my mind, this tightly packaged high concept and went out into the woods and became more like Hunger Games, my interest started to wane. Yeah, no, maybe that's true. Like, you could look at it as two separate entities almost. But the humor you're talking about, well, let me let me give, me, give you an example. When the hotel manager says... If you encounter any problems you cannot resolve yourselves, you will be assigned children, and that usually helps. <laughs> I loved that line. I mean, people well, in my theater burst out laughing. And again, exactly, Olivia because Coleman. it does take, yes, it does bring, you know, it's true. You know, if, if you want perspective in a marriage, have a couple kids. Do you know what I mean? So, so uh, you know, and I, I think that kind of brilliant interchange and interweaving of those things was really part of what makes the first half of it really interesting. Okay, but O'Toole, quick Q&A from me. Ready? Already? We're at the Q&A? Okay. Yeah, just a quick Q&A in the middle to sort of lighten the load. What animal would you be? I took the test. Um, Catherine, our listener, sent us the, the test. Brilliant social media marketing move on behalf of the team behind the lobster. Um, we'll put a link up on our website. But when she sent me the test, I had to take it immediately, and, and I was a penguin, all dressed up and nowhere to go. Huh. Um, are you cold? <laughs> I'd like to think refined, you uh, know? I see, I mm-hmm. see. Okay, but forget and the you test. you were, you were Wait, a... I don't even remember what I was in the test, do you? I, I put it, I answered her with what I became. I can't remember what it was. You were that attached to your animal? No, I really wasn't. But here's <laughs> the thing, because I didn't think it mattered what the test said I should be, because you were supposed to pick what you wanted to be. So I'm going to ask you the question again. If you had to pick an animal to become in 48 hours, what animal would you pick? Wow. Of course, Colin Farrell's answer in the movie was so well thought out. Hello. I'm the hotel manager, and this gentleman is my partner. We'd like to welcome you. You're one of the lucky ones. You have one of our superior rooms, which means you have a view. Did you read the leaflet? Yes, I did. Very good. Now, the fact that you'll turn into an animal if you fail to fall in love with someone during your stay here is not something that should upset you or get you down. Just think as an animal, you'll have a second chance to find a companion. But even then, you must be careful. You need to choose a companion that is a similar type of animal to you. A wolf and a penguin could never live together, nor could a camel and a hippopotamus. That would be absurd. Think about it. I understand this discussion is a little unpleasant for you, but it is my duty to prepare you psychologically for all possible outcomes. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. Why a lobster? Because lobsters live for over 100 years, are blue-blooded like aristocrats, and stay fertile all their lives. I also like the sea very much. I water ski and swim quite well since I was a teenager. I must congratulate you. The first thing most people think of is a dog. Great choice, right? It's a great, great choice. Until, of course, Ben Wishaw, our Ben Wishaw from Spectre and London Spy, points out that somebody's going to drop him in a boiling pot of water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, if he's stupid enough to crawl into one of those uh, things. Okay, but wait, you didn't answer my question. You never do. Okay, this is a gut reaction. You just have to pick it off the top of your head. Okay, off the what top of my head, you I'm going to have to go with an Irish hare. A what? <laughs> See, I don't think I'm going to have a lot of company in my next fictive life. An Irish hare. 
A. Is that a, a rabbit? Um, it's a kind of rabbit, but, you know, I would still be Irish. I would be nocturnal, which, as you know, is, is very important to me. They're pretty much, um, they're, they're fine being by themselves, but they do come together in these little witch-like circles. Huh. Okay. And you would be? I think I would be an eagle. Oh. You'd be a bird of prey? Well, we already know that I already am, but secondly... You're probably going to eat my Irish hair. Yeah, I would definitely do that. No, but you know what? They soar with grace. Grace is a, is a word, as you know, that eludes me. And, you know, I'm not a graceful person, and, and I want to have grace, but I really don't. But I think bird, I think an eagle soaring is just the most graceful, beautiful thing ever. I like that And image. I do love my meat. You know, I don't want to give up meat. So there you go. I'm going to be an eagle. You'd still be on our currency. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to make me any friends out there. I'm sorry, but I want to be authentic. So eagle it is. Um, okay, so now, did you know that Colin Farrell gained 40 pounds for this role? He did, and I saw an interview he gave, and somebody said, how did you do it? And then how did you lose it? Because he lost it very quickly thereafter. By the time this um, premiered at Cannes... He did lose it? How, how quickly did he lose he it? He looked fantastic. Eight weeks. I did eight weeks in and eight weeks out. Eight out. weeks? Yeah, so it was part of the job, so I'm not going to... Because a lot of people struggle with, with obesity and with their weight and stuff, so it was literally... It was for the job. I, eight weeks, manger, 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 manger. Uh, shooty, shooty, shooty. Uh, runny, runny, runny. Oh, runny, runny, runny. Starvy, starvy, starvy. Yeah, that uh, so sounds crappy, crappy, crappy. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. You know, it's one of these things where I never like to see actors put themselves and their bodies at risk, but Colin Farrell, 40 pounds heavier, somehow it did transform him for this role. I think it's the kind of role that would be difficult to leave at the end of it. I thought it was really a disturbing role. And yet he totally. left it. He looked great by the yeah. time he was... And also, you know, it shows his versatility. I can totally understand why he took the role. Absolutely. You know, he's one of these actors I've always appreciated. I find that he brings a sincerity to his role, whatever genre he's playing. Absolutely. You know, he won the Golden Globe for In Bruges, which was a comedic film. You know, this was so different. Now there was a there was a TV series that we reviewed. Do you? I, I want to see if you pick this up. This so belongs in that TV series, at least the second half. Is this that British show you made me Black watch? Mirror. Black yep. Mirror. Yep. yep. I'm still this recovering from that. This is a Black Mirror ep- elongated episode. You know, it was shot the same way. It's almost in black and white, but not quite. You know, people don't have real feelings. That show. I mean, it was really, really, really black mirror-ish, didn't you think? Definitely very dystopian. But Hollister, uh-huh. let me ask you this, because you clarified a bigger splash so well for me with all the symbolism. Like I said, I got the first half of the film. At least, you know, we're all putting it in terms of they're pointing out the absurdity with which single people are stigmatized in our world, especially nowadays where there's more single people in America than not single people. Well, it's funny because single people are still considered second best. Mm -hmm. The best is to be in a coupled relationship and then being a single person. Now, I'm a single person and I've been into marriages and I can tell you that I'm best, my best self is single and it doesn't mean I don't have a full and fabulous life. And, you know, and so many people, oh, I wish you were with somebody. Why? I don't. Mind if I join you? It's no coincidence that the targets are shaped like single people and not couples. 
And then the second thing he mocks the culture with is that you have to have something in common, like what's your commonality? And he exaggerates that greatly, especially in the second half. And we don't want to do a plot spoiler about what they end up having in common in the end, which is so disturbing. To both your points, I want to give a shout out to two writers. The first, what you said about stigmatizing singles, the author and blogger Bella DePaolo, mm-hmm. she wrote a book called Singled Out, how singles are stereotyped, stigmatized, and ignored and still live happily ever yeah, after. Exactly. Nowadays, when you know we've had this run of civil rights movements, most recently with same-sex marriage and transgendered rights, et cetera. So many people during the same-sex marriage debates were saying, you know, same-sex couples should have the same benefits as heterosexual couples. And it did bring up this point, well, what about single people? And Bella DePaulo is someone who's pointed out that there are thousands of governmental benefits that go to the married and don't go to single people. You know, when single people die, their Social Security benefits just get sucked right up by the government. Well, you know, Um, you can have mine if you want. I'll make sure you get them. You know, they're not allowed to put anyone on their health insurance. They're not allowed to be on someone else's health insurance. It's definitely, you know, our society is still, um, you know, in favor of married people. Your second point, which I think is so interesting about how he makes fun of how people have to have something in common. I read a book called Marriage Confidential by Pamela Haig, and she said nowadays... Married people, especially in America, she calls them associative marriages, where there's this trend where people marrying each other are more alike each other than ever before. They tend to have studied at the same colleges, studied the same things, practiced the same professions, where this never used to be the case. Um, You know, even people like Will and Kate, they met at the same college. Well, it's funny because there's a quote from um, Lenthimos about, you know, he said, you find certain ways of justifying why you make certain choices in your relationship. You tell yourself why you can approach someone, be with someone, leave someone. Pushing that to extremes in this movie enhances our understanding of relationships. And I think that's what he means. It's like, oh, well, we have all these things in common. You know, we're a perfect couple. Well, why does that make you a perfect couple? Because you both like tennis. You know, Mm -hmm. that doesn't... You know, you can go play tennis three hours a week and have a great relationship, i.e. Mike Nichols and Diane Sawyer, very different lives, right? Right. I mean, whatever so, happened to opposites attracting? Exactly. So, I, But what he's saying is that we're educated in a certain way that makes us look for and find those things to be the cornerstone of what we should choose. And so the movie raises really interesting questions, but did he have to go so over the top, so very painful I mean, did he have to make me hurt so much to tell me that? I don't know. I don't think so. And it was such an either-or thing, because whereas I liked that he pointed out how singles are unfairly treated, the singles in the movie out there in the Hunger Games forest refused to let you be part of their society if you coupled up or fell in love. And I thought, you know, why the intolerance on both sides? I didn't get it. That is totally true. And I do think that um, some of it maybe was for the slap across the face, you know, like, let me pour as cold water as I can on your head. You know, (laughs) um, you know, it's funny. There's the beginning of Sounder. Do you remember the movie Sounder? Is that the one about the dog? Well, it's not about a dog, but you're right. Because at the beginning of the movie, a dog is shot. And it is, I think, one of the most painful scenes in film. And there's a dog that that gets hurt in this as well. I'm not going to spoil it by telling what it is. But 
you know, there's something about a slaughtered animal that is so much more upsetting than a slaughtered human. And I sort of question my own value sense in that too. Like, why am I so used to seeing people being killed that it's easier Uh for me to stomach it than a, than a helpless dog? Or do I think people are not helpless and so they deserve to die? I mean, whatever it is, I realize that it's my issue. As they say in screenplay writing, whatever you do, whatever you inject into the plot, save the cat. The minute yeah. you kill the cat, you've lost your audience. Yep, yep, yep. That's it, that's it. Can we talk a little bit about the amazing cast? Yes. Well, you, <laughs> <Okay>. you can. <laughs> okay, Rachel Weiss, who was in this, obviously it's the one Oscar of her best winner. Roles, don't you agree? From The Constant Gardener. Uh-huh. Well, again, sadly, I feel like she came into the plot of this movie just as they were beginning to lose me because they leave the hotel. The humor was gone once that happened. The humor was gone. So if it's going to be an absurdist comedy, I felt like there was a There tonal was no shift. relief from the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it was like, you know, you were totally being operated on without anesthetic at all in the second half. Yep, John C. Riley. And just to point out the names of the characters they were playing, Rachel Weiss is the short-sighted woman. John C. Riley from Chicago and The Perfect Storm and who's been in everything. Here he was the lisping man. Ben Wishaw, Lea Seydoux, who... Um, won the Palm d'Or just a couple years ago for Blue is the Warmest Color. And incidentally, only three women have ever won that in the history of the Cannes Film Festival. Hmm. Um, now, here's my little trivia question about the cast. Three of them are related through my James Bond, Daniel Craig. Okay, I don't care, but someone might, so why don't you tell us how that is? <laughs> okay, Ben Wishaw okay. is, of course, Q, Inspector. Okay. And Skyfall. Lea Seydoux was also Inspector. Okay. And Rachel Weiss is married to him. In real life, you mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's a bit of a distant distant hit. But I, can you I don't just say, for somebody as smart as you, movie? you're such a smart girl, I can't understand why James Bond slips into every single thing that we talk about. Well, I you. know you just want to dissociate from Daniel Craig, but I just, I, I, you, you know, know. I don't get the Bond thing I, in you. I just don't. I don't. <laughs> you don't I'm get sorry. the Bond to Do Bond. Do not understand. Nope. <laughs> no, I don't get the Bond Bond at all. You nope. know, um, now, I don't mean to sound gossipy, but I'm sure you heard that Liz Gilbert from Eat, Pray, Love recently filed for divorce. Well, I did not, and I can't imagine how this is going to connect, but I'm sure you're (laughs) going to find a way. Well, I did read her book, Committed, which she wrote um, right around the time that she married her Brazilian man from Eat, Pray, Love. And she brought up a lot of very interesting facts about the history of marriage. And she was talking about what a pretty big percentage of women who've never had children throughout history. And what I don't understand, especially in the arts, is why more people don't give credit to some of the greats who have never been married but brought so much to our artistic world. So, for example, Jane Austen. Emily Dickinson, even people like Ralph Nader. I don't understand why in movies it's always portrayed as so sad if you're not coupled off. I guess it it goes back to our How to Be Single podcast where I was like, couldn't one of them had a little ambition or done something creative? But if you look at what Jane Austen wrote, right? Mm -hmm. She was sad she wasn't married. But if she were married, do you think she would have been allowed to write? She already had to uh, well, I don't write know whether she would have been anonymously allowed or not, and on the side. I think that if you look at her, her plots, certainly her goal is right in line with what he's questioning. That you can't be happy without, you know, being, you know, being partnered. Maybe she just knew her market. Maybe she didn't know any better. And maybe she just makes the point that he's talking about, about 
our education and our, you know, our primer tells us this is what makes us happy rather than just looking for things in life that make you happy. Bella DePaulo, she's used the word matrimania, where it is just bizarre to think of the pressure in our society still to get married. Oh, I know. This Terrible. mirage of personal fulfillment. Absolutely, you know. absolutely. So I would issue a buyer beware and know that you might come out of it um, wishing that there were certain things you hadn't seen. Not to do any plot spoilers, but the ending, without necessarily talking about the oh ending. My God. What is it about absurdist films, and of course those of Salvador Dali come to mind, where they are obsessed with the eyeball? I don't know, but I, I can't even talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. La, 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 la. It's over. We're going to move on now. Let's move on to 13. Wait, okay. one last thing. Yeah. A few years ago, I met Colin Farrell's personal assistant at a film festival. He was actually there with his own film, which he had written and directed. One of the funniest guys I've ever met. And he was telling me this story about how Colin Farrell had given him a superpower. What was the superpower? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Invisibility. He said the thing about Colin Farrell is if you entered any room with him, you could do whatever you wanted in that room because people only had eyes for Colin Farrell. Uh, I, there are people like that that aren't stars, you know, that really the energy in a room always goes directly to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that's cute. That's a little <laughs> cuteness. One last thing I want to say, The Lobster was distributed by A24. We've mentioned them in previous podcasts. They've already won three Oscars. Last year alone, they distributed Room, the documentary Amy, which won the Oscar for Best Documentary, The End of the Tour, and Ex Machina. You know, but I don't want this to be at the Academy level. I just want to say I don't. <laughs> okay. It's just too disturbing. But anyway, but now let's... More we're going to now move to the upbeat TV series <laughs> 13 and a shout out to one of our, one of our, um, listeners who's really, really vocal with us and we love her for it is Val. Hello Val. Yeah. It suggested that we watch it and I'm so glad she did. I, it was not on my radar and now it's, it's only going to be one season. It's only five episodes. You can now buy it on iTunes. The fourth episode has run, and I did get a chance to see the fifth episode, so I've seen the entire series created and written by Marnie Dickens. And if you see it for no other reason, one of the best acting jobs I've ever seen is the person who plays Ivy Moxham, Jodie Comer. Yes. I'm Ivy Moxham. She's been a missing person for the last 13 years. Ivy Moxham will now be a 26-year-old woman. Don't, don't, don't tell my family. I don't want them to know I came back. Everything she's told us was a lie. You have ruined the one thing I had left! You don't want us to find him, do you? Oh my God, is she the most mesmerizing, amazing thing you've ever seen? She. This is the kind of role that actors <sighs> just die oh, for. Die for. And, and also, think about it, it's five full hours that she gets to play it. I mean... How did you see the fifth episode? Did they just release it? No, a friend gave me oh, access to it. Oh, here yeah. I am waiting until Thursday. Of course I know, you have I'm a sorry. friend. I'm sorry, what can I tell I you? should have known. The ending is quite something. Wow. It really is. And yeah. they're not coming out with a second season? No, it, it was just it's just this one storyline. And, you know, I think we're going to see this more and more. This is not the first time. Night Manager, which is, I think, one of the best series of 2016, also going to be one season. But the thing is, if you look her up in IMDb or you access pictures of um, of Jody, she doesn't look at all like Ivy. In other words, they've stripped her of, 
of her beauty. You know, she's yeah. got this, you know, she's very beautiful and very polished in, in other work that she's done. And here they've taken all of that off to make her into this person. But her use of her face mm-hmm. and her feelings through that face, you know, I saw a little piece... Um, by Robert De Niro, uh, an interviewer asked him, and he kept saying that he thinks that actors are always trying to give you something. And sometimes the best thing they can do is not give you anything, but just to be. Interesting. And this performance that she gives for five amazing bloody hours, um, not bloody as in bloody bloody, but just bloody hours as in British bloody, <laughs> um, is, is really, really, really the epitome of what he's talking about. You can't work that out. It just is or it isn't in a person. I mean, and she, you know, she's going to do great things. You're going to, we're going to see her over and over again. She comes across as so haunted, so damaged, so terrified, so resentful, so touching a mystery that just can't be unwrapped. Kudos Mm -hmm. to Jodie Comer. You know, Hollister, 13 reminded me of two movies and a TV series, kind of all mixed in together. That sounds like four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> okay, the first, of course... Wait, what is it? Three movies and a TV series? Two movies. Four weddings two and movies a funeral. Two movies Two movies and a TV exactly. series. Okay. okay. The first, of course, being the film Room, which came out last okay. year. Room Without the yeah. Child. But you, you yeah. also see the parents have separated the toll it's taken on the family, the kidnapped girl trying to reinstate herself in society. The other thing they have in common is you can't fix the problem. Right. Most movies, a problem can be fixed. You can't fix 13 years of being in a room or being locked in a cellar. And you know that throughout the entire entire presentation, and I think that makes it exceptional. So I can see that connection. What's the other movie? Okay, the second's a TV series, Broadchurch, again with Olivia Colman, complete with a Scottish detective. You're not sure who's guilty, who's innocent, the effect this crime has had on the family and all the characters in town. I think that's very Uh Broadchurch-esque, which makes it very watchable from episode to episode. And it's also a little like the German movie Goodbye Lenin, another high-concept film, where here for Ivy Moxham's recovery, the doctors tell the family that they're supposed to act as though nothing's changed over the past 13 years, so the parents have to pretend to be back together. Well, the doctors didn't say that. She read it in a book. It says well, they the asked first if episode. she had read all the pamphlets, and she's like, I know them cold. Yeah. I've been studying them for 13 years. Yeah, exactly. You know? But it's a great interplay of all the various relationships 13 years later. Her 13-year-old best friend, her crush from back then, how their lives have changed. It's a a great interplay of dynamics. It is. It is. One of the things, one of the questions that's asked in it, she asks her parents at one point, did you ever stop believing? Yes. And I think one of the things the series brings out for me is faith. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how you live through a position where your child is missing and you have no idea if they're dead or alive or what happened to them. I can't imagine living for years in that situation. Mm-hmm. But clearly the mother did have faith and clearly the father did not. Do you really think it's that black and white? Well, in her, in Ivy's mind it was. I saw another movie called The Innocence, which I've written up and is on our website in my written oh, the reviews. the one that just came out. It's yeah, it's still really, on the really festival good. circuit. And exactly. And one of the lines in it is that faith is 90% doubt and 10% hope. That's all? That's not, that's not bad odds. 90% doubt and 10% hope? Oh, you mean you're 
you're subjected faith to ninety percent doubt. In, oh, and you right. overcome it. This is a non. This is a oh, non. I thought this I this could be ninety percent doubtful and ten percent hopeful. No, and I'm okay. this is a nun speaking, and she said faith is ninety percent doubt and ten percent hope. Mm-hmm. And you know, I couldn't help but juxtaposition the the two things because um, I think you know, Ivy's challenge to those around her were, A, how could you go on without me, as in her sister having a relate, re, you know, getting married, getting, preparing to get married, et cetera. And two, you know, didn't you believe that I would come back? And you'll see in the last episode how it all really came to play, and it's brilliantly, brilliantly wrapped up. So, but faith is, I, I think, is, is, is sort of one of the big questions in it, and I like that about it. Well, it's a very interesting interplay of faith and doubt, because even in this series, the very first episode, her younger sister doesn't believe it's her. So the use of doubt is such a powerful device in storytelling, yeah. Yeah. and how people's alliances keep shifting, where they think Ivy Moxham's telling them the truth, where they don't believe her. It's very riveting to watch. It is. It is totally. It, it, it's a very... Once again, you know, those people across the pond, they may not do money very well, but they certainly, (laughs) certainly, certainly know how to do film. I lived in terror watching it at any moment she might get snatched again. was a brilliant storytelling device, the kidnapping of the second girl. Again, not to go into plot spoilers, but it certainly threw into stark relief, you know, what happened to Ivy Moxham over the past 13 years, the immediacy of trying to save the girl who just got kidnapped. Made it very gripping. Well, there's only one point that's not believable. It's in episode five, and... Um, I just don't think that situation would have happened where what happens could have happened. And you all know once you see it what I'm talking about, so we won't spoil it. But but otherwise, it's totally believable. You could really see things coming to pass this way and how it all sort of came to pass. And there are a million questions that are asked all through it that you do wonder about, you know, who did know? Did she know him when he took her? He worked at the school, you know, did she not know him? I mean, there's a lot of different questions that I think really, really keep you on the edge of your seat until that last episode. And it brings up the Stockholm Syndrome. And again, with regard to our conversation about the lobster, when Ivy Moxham says she doesn't want to be alone, wasn't that just powerful in Uh, a disturbing way? But again, brilliantly done when she turned the tables on the detective and started questioning him. Brilliant, brilliant, very well done. You know, a scene that I, I found devastating too just from an action not from dialogue which one when she ate the whipped cream with her fingers oh you know all these details of how you you know you're absolutely right the details around this plot make it exceptional they really took time with each of them in an amazing way yeah you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right the nuance of it all right her handwriting um where you see that she's emotionally stunted and they don't know what's happened to her. Even when her sister tries to introduce her to the advent of the iPhone, and you see them both doing the same screensaver of both of them together, like two sisters, and you think, oh, that's great. They're acting like sisters again. But then you realize the younger sister has replaced her fiance's picture as her screensaver. She literally boots him out of the picture. 
it's that kind of shifting dynamics that makes Which, it. Which, by the way, I felt Ivy was manipulating mm-hmm. to yep. happen. I mean, there was a manip- You know, Ivy has many sides to her personality, and not all of them are critique. And you see the family imploding all over again in each episode. Yeah, all over again. Even the interesting character of Tim, her 13-year-old crush then, now a 26-year-old man. Married man, I might add. Married man. When they say, you know, the amount of time, all those days we spent apart, thousands of days. Imagine thousands of days in captivity. Thousands. I can't, no, I, could, I can't. I can't handle five minutes, you yes. know. Okay, now, Hollister, some of these actors, we've uh, mentioned them in other podcasts, Okay, the one who plays the sister, Catherine Rose Morley. Where was she? Okay, she was in Last Tango in Halifax. Oh, okay. Our oh, beloved she... series she played. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, Ellie. Now, yes, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Okay, a movie that you wrote up a written review for, Burnt, starring, of course, Bradley Cooper. Yes. Richard Rankin, who played D.I. Elliot. He oh. played Reese Wader in huh. Burnt. Huh. Uh-huh. I did not I didn't remember him from that. Good. good okay. Catch. Natasha Little, who plays the mother. She was in a recent TV miniseries you've mentioned in this very podcast. Oh, The Night Manager. Yes. Yep. Huh. Okay, and one more, the father, Stuart Graham, played Matt Eastwood in a series that we reviewed way back with uh, Gillian Anderson. The Fall. It's The Fall. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well done. And I love the relationship between the two detectives. I find that a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, very, very. And also their relationship to Ivy individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And really, how really it good. shifts. It reminds me of Gods of Carnage. Well, you know, by the way, the relationships, all the relationships in this film are filled with real relationship issues that come up for people, you know, whether it's friendships or love relationships or whatever. It really, 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 every single detail of every single relationship is really well executed. Oh, really, really good. So thanks, Val, for, for bringing it up. And we do highly recommend it. I'm sure it's going to come to Netflix or, or Hulu or something soon. But right now, the only way to get it is on iTunes um, and to purchase it. I think also Amazon's going to be carrying it shortly. Mm-hmm. But Hollister, I got to say, an interesting choice here of shows to discuss on our 100th anniversary. Oh, there we, we go. A, a kidnapped yes. girl in a dystopian absurdist I know, film. I know. Aren't we supposed to have cake or something? I don't know. Well, I love cake. <laughs> yeah, I do but, too. you know, you're not a cake girl, but I, I love cake. 